Welcome to Speaking of Partnership, the show that brings you the personal partnership stories of experts from all walks of life so you can turn their stumbling blocks into stepping stones to healthy, long-lasting partnerships. I'm your host, Ken Bechtel. You know that the partnership game is not easy, but it's so worth it. If you're struggling with attracting or maintaining partnerships, go to speakingofpartnership.com right now, click on the big red button, and attend a free webinar on the secret to starting your ideal partnership today. Now, let me introduce you to today's guest. I'm super excited to bring back one of only two people who has ever been on this show more than once, and that is J.P. Sears. J.P., welcome to the show. Thank you, Ken. Well, I'm honored to be one of two and uh, definitely honored to be back talking with you. You're an absolute delight, so I'm excited for us to pretend we know what we're doing with ourselves again. Yes. Well, that's the whole idea, right? You, you fake it till you make it. <laughs> they never tell us that we never truly make it, so we kind of fake it our whole lives and realize, wow, maybe that was just us being ourselves. Good point. Excellent point. Well, I'm going to ask you to give your introduction. Who? How would you like to be described to our audience? If there's anyone left on the planet who hasn't heard of you, how would you describe yeah. yourself? Well, uh, one one of the, I guess a bunch of different ways because I'm arrogant and need to talk about myself for a while. So you know, most importantly, I consider myself a curious student of life. I'm, to me, it's so important to be curious about who am I really, uh, what's going on really. Uh, I'm also a YouTuber. I make comedy videos that, you know, they're parodies on uh, what I consider to be relevant topics. And uh, I've had a 15-year background doing emotional healing work with people. And I'm also proud to say I'm now an author of a book called How to Be Ultra Spiritual. And, uh, you know, I'm a handsome redhead with majestic blue eyes. Ooh. Now, see, I like the fact that you gave some visual information because this is an audio podcast and people <laughs> may not know how striking you are. Yeah. You know, I think the next trend, Ken, in podcasting is going to be visuals. You know, it's it's kind of like this this new art form. It's like we want to experience what we can never know. So I think non-audio podcasts are going to be the next big thing. And we're kind of like ahead of the curve on this. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I, I mean, you're an author now, so now you know how to tell, tell a story. And your book, of course, is How to Be Ultra Spiritual, 12 and a Half Steps to Spiritual Superiority. I'm quoting from the cover of my own copy. It's a extraordinary book. Everybody's loving it. Oh, well, thank you. I Apparently, I refuse to talk to people who don't like it. Uh, <laughs> I'm so loving. Let me only talk to people who meet my uh, expectations and uh, agree. But yeah, uh, I, I was telling you before we uh, jumped on air, I, the book for me was a win before it got into anybody else's hands because the journey of writing it, I put my heart and soul into so much creativity, so much of my deeper perspectives embedded in the comedy of the book. So it, it, like, it was a whole hero's journey into myself writing the book. 
and it, it was just a win. And the fact that uh, it's getting great reviews and selling well, like that does excite me. Don't get me wrong. I won't pretend to be too stoic on that. Yet it's also cool because like that's just the cherry on top. Yeah. No, that's that's great. And, you know, it's interesting because when I saw you uh, present, I guess it was, a you know, basically a, a book tour type of presentation that you were doing here in Boulder. There were some really interesting questions that people asked, and I loved a couple of them that I want to actually go back and explore them again. So we're giving you a, a pop quiz on your own comments. So you're okay, Ken. Now you're forcing me to pretend like I was present during the uh, the performance. Well, you acted Jeez. like you're present. Well, fake it till you make it. I've taken oh, well, there we go. We just come but, full circle. Very nice. For sure. I, I'd love to explore the questions with fresh eyes of today. Nice. So one of the things that I, I remember you being specifically asked and they said, you know, so you're, you know, this YouTube sensation and now you got this book and and how are you going to stay ultra spiritual through all this? Wow. Do you remember what I said then? Yeah, but I don't want to ruin it for everyone. <laughs> well, I think what comes up for me now is it's been important for me to cut out all the small people in my life. You know, my f friends and family, as I get more recognition from my videos and book, it's important to realize that the little people are just that little people. And I, I think I can continue a great path of success by coming cutting them out of my life. Wow, somehow that's not exactly what I remember hearing, but maybe it is. Maybe I just filtered it into how I wanted to put you on this, you know, amazing pedestal of, of awesomeness. And I, yeah, and I, I think there's many alternate realities uh, <laughs> as answers to that question. And, you know, it, and it's interesting, honestly, uh, another alternate reality to it is uh, staying ultra spiritual it's from a more serious perspective that's something that i'm i'm not intent on doing anymore you know the the videos i was doing for the about the first two and a half years of doing videos i was in in ultra spiritual character for all of them uh, the book is written completely in character in the ultra spiritual character and the the ultra spiritual character uh, was a great place of freedom for me. It was just amazing. And now I'm finding when I try to keep myself just as the character, it's constriction. It's a loss of freedom. It's like now I'm realizing, wow, okay, the, the character is a part of me, but who I am is bigger than the character. So staying ultra spiritual, honestly, isn't something that's important to me anymore i mean the ultra spiritual character is something you know he'll always be a tool in my tool belt he'll i'll pull that character out for videos when it's appropriate but it's also been a thrill to essentially go un ultra spiritual and and bring other dimensions of myself out in in videos and uh, also live performances so uh, not to get uh, too digressive with your the wonderful question, but that's just another perspective. You know, I, I, that is so cool. I, I really, really appreciate that because one of the things that, uh, you know, 
like your comment of when you that that character was constrictive and yes it, it, it grew you to a point but then you've kind of outgrown the character yeah and now it's like oh so i'm curious is there a new character or is this just stepping more into being jp yeah you know it's weird uh what do i mean when i say it's weird what do i mean by that you know, it's weird. JP, uh, he's not paying attention, so we'll talk about him. Uh, is is many characters? I, I think it's just you know we have like a hundred trillion cells that make up our physical body, and and then psychologically, personality wise, I, you know, I don't know that we have a hundred trillion different cells or characters, but I think we have a bunch. And what I'm what feels best to me is operating under the guise of just be me. So lately, you know, the videos that I've been putting out the past month, couple months, you know, I'm not, I appear to be just JP, though I, I think each video, it's in a way like I'm drawing on like a, a subtle part of me, like, okay, what, what tonality, what kind of personality is best to convey this point? artistically and comedically and I do my best to go with that uh end of last year uh and beginning of this year a little bit I I played around on video with some different more formal characters you know very you know apparently different characters and that was good to experiment with and I I none of them really stuck but why I think it was good to experiment with is it kind of just guided me back to being me, like allow myself to kind of like on video, be an actor, pull from any part of me that needs to be pulled on to uh, deliver a certain video rather than just pulling on one part of me, the ultra spiritual character or a couple other parts of me that, you know, I play around with as characters. So allowing you know the the whole landscape of self to be fair game uh, as a resource for a, a video or an expression to me is um it, man it just feels expansive to have everything fair game nice nice and you know it's i have to admit i think you had a lot of people fooled I think there are a lot of people who thought that's that's really you. I, I probably said it to somebody and went, wow, you know, I interviewed him. That was really him. And I know there's big pieces of you that are in there. Yeah. But there's there's so much more. And that's one of the things I really loved about your earlier comment was it wasn't a like, oh, this, this character is like dwarfing me. The reality was the opposite. Mm. You've outgrown the character. And you're like, wow, there's all these other aspects that are just as valuable in different ways. And that character opened the door to so many people. And I know you mentioned this in, in your presentation of the reason you use comedy is, one, you're very good at it. But two, it's it gets access to people who normally wouldn't have a serious conversation about spirituality. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I think originally that character was a the bridge that was necessary. I mean, because one, it wasn't just comedy, it was a character doing comedy, 
but the character was a, a bit of a an archetype of the spiritual warrior. So that gave people something to connect to, whether they're in the spiritual realm, like, okay, that character is like the look of them is kind of familiar or represents the familiar. And then people who weren't in the spiritual realm uh, would potentially take in my message uh, because it was uh, in comedy and the character allowed uh, a foreign world, the spiritual world, to be something they are willing to connect with because it's coming through a character that represents it. And it's a comedic character. So it's something that gives them appeal that otherwise a sincere, serious uh, person you know, wouldn't appeal to them. So I'm also a firm believer uh, that the path we take to find ourselves can become the path we lose ourselves on. And that character was so important for me. Um, it, it, the kind of the hero's journey of the character really helped me find myself. And I think if I stay dogmatically stuck in the character, then I would lose myself as I did more and more of what allowed me to, uh, find myself in the beginning, which is being the character yeah, no, that's, it's so interesting. And, you know, it's, it's funny, because after um, our last interview, I was looking at your YouTube channel. And I was like, Oh, I wonder what are the most watched videos. And the two top ones were about uh, how to become gluten intolerant, and which may be still the top, I don't know. And, and um, one of them that you've done about being vegetarian. Oh, if, if meat eaters look mm. like vegetarians or whatever and i realized these are the two least spiritual ones you've done yeah. yeah but they had a bigger audience because people go oh i can relate to that i don't know what the spiritual stuff is but this is great this is funny i get it yeah and i know as i've you know watched your videos and i've, I've read your book and i'm going it's so funny so I'm, I'm reading your book which the other thing i love about your work jp is it's um and this isn't a jp love fest i'm gonna rip on you in a minute <laughs> I look forward to the insults. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you taught me how to speak to my guardian angel, so now I'm, I'm ready to go. Um, so what happens is I would read it, and I'd be like, ah, and then I'm like, wait, that's me. <laughs> and it was like this back door into me getting real mm. and going, well, oh, wait a minute. I actually do that sometimes. Where you're presenting it is almost this, this is how absurd it is. And then it's like, oh, I've gotten in that position. And I love how you, you know, you framed it with the first chapter of competitive spirituality. Mm. And I was having a conversation with uh, David Wygant the other day, and, and we were talking about self-righteous love, which can be similar, right? It's like, you got to do it my way. My way is the best way. And it certainly happens in spirituality is too, which I love that whole idea of, oh, it's all competitive. Yeah. And my way is the best and you got to take it my way or else you suck. And this is how I prove your way sucks. <laughs> we do it and we don't even know we're doing it. Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, I, I think what benefits, and this is my delusional opinion, what benefits us the most is, isn't when we see something we already know about ourselves, but I think when we discover our undiscovered self, that's what benefits us. That's what allows us to feel and actually be more whole when we see something about ourselves that we were blind to. And I think especially when we see something about ourselves at a feeling level, you know, not just like, okay, with our eyes or with our the eyes of our mental conception, 
but when we actually make connection at a feeling level to something about ourselves that we had been blind and disconnected from and and I think the evidence that we've made a feeling oriented connection and visual with ourselves that we you know with part of ourselves we had been blind to is we feel an emotional reaction. That's the evidence we've made a connection at a feeling level. And that emotional reaction, in my experience, might be laughter or it might be feeling offended. But either way, I think that emotional reaction is the evidence that we're seeing something about ourselves that we haven't seen before. But it's important that we're seeing it about ourselves because it's us. It's a part of us. And wouldn't life be interesting? Wouldn't life be easy if we only saw the things about ourselves that we liked? <laughs> I think it might be comfortable, but I don't think it would be as meaningful or growth-oriented. Yeah, which also begs the question, well, then would we just, you know, since it's all relative, we'd start to not like some of the things we used to like about ourselves. Yeah, what yeah and what if that's true and then we just have this diminishing pool of what we like because we have to not like something <laughs> something's got to be the least liked and therefore it's the one we don't like yeah a hundred percent it's kind just, of a slippery slope right we we keep diminishing ourselves because we refuse to grow yeah yeah no and and, and you know i'm sure that that dynamic is at play in many lives i mean i'm i'm sure i'm not immune to it so I'm I'm wondering because, you know, this show is called Speaking of Partnership, and so much has changed in your world since we last talked. What are some of the partnerships going on right now that are like, wow, this is just like amazing what's happened as a result of partnership? Yeah, you know, it's it, probably no coincidence that you bring this up, but a huge thing, huge that's changed since the last time we talked is my partnership with my girlfriend. You know, that it that is, wow, it, it is wow with a capital W. Uh, in January, her and I were both guest facilitators at a retreat in Costa Rica. And boy, life just blindsided me with her. You know, I had been of the mindset that said, oh, I don't want a relationship. I, I don't want to take time away from, you know, my art, my work. And uh, you know, ugh. so for about a year, that was my mindset. And then, you know, the unexpected happened where there's this beautiful woman inside and out. And man, I, I felt feelings for her that I didn't know existed. And the, it was very clear to me. My heart was saying, prioritize this relationship, prioritize this partnership and like it, it didn't feel it, it doesn't feel like prioritizing her and I's partnership it doesn't feel like it takes away anything from my work. It doesn't feel like it diminishes me. It just feels like uh, uh, it adds to everything. I get more enriched and I, I think my work benefits, my creativity benefits. So the, honestly, this is the first time in my life that I've ever prioritized uh, my partnership with uh, my significant other. So having uh, my lovely lady Amber in my life has been a great godsend. And it 
I mean, it, it's such a big change because it's not like I don't do what I do. No, I, I of course do. But the big change is, wow, I prioritize a relationship even above work and it simply enriches me. It is, yeah, just absolutely wonderful. That is fantastic. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Yeah. No, and you make such a great point. Like when you prioritize it even above work, you're like, oh, my gosh, I had no idea what was available here. And yeah. so oftentimes we hear people going, oh, I don't have time. I think that I'll lose all my freedom. It'll, I don't have room for that in my life. Thinking that it actually makes things smaller. Yeah. When the reality is when you're in harmony and you have that balance and you're you're prioritizing that partnership, it enhances everything, things you didn't even think about. Uh, yeah, that it's been so surprising to me to learn, yep, that's true. Everything you just said for me is true. And, and you know, it, it, to me this is, and what makes it true is this relationship with Amber, it's based on deep connection not the need for shallow companionship. You know, while I so enjoy her companionship, the connection is really what the relationship is based on. And in the past, I've been in relationships that have just been based on companionship, which essentially says, I don't want to be lonely, so let me have someone in my life. And, you know, those relationships, it's essentially the mindset that gets me into them is one of trying to escape myself. So it seems like that relationship diminishes me. But I think it's more like it just shows me more of what I am. It shows me more of where I've been coming from, which is I'm trying to escape myself. So I'm experiencing the loss of self because that's what I'm doing to myself. But because it's, you know, I, you know, present, you know, in the beginning of the year, present day, what I where I had been is like very OK not having companionship. So I wasn't willing to be in a relationship just out of the need for companionship. I guess I'd done that enough. So because this is a relationship based on connection, I get so much more from it. And I think when all of us explore our relationships, past, present, future, and consider, is this based on genuine deep connection? Or is it based more on kind of shallow just desire for companionship, the desire to escape how I feel when I'm lonely or the desire to escape how I feel, period. Um, I, I think one will give us more of us and uh, the other, the companionship model, will. Uh, it probably won't give us less of us, but it'll reflect to us how little of us we've been giving to ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. That's such a great distinction. And I'm actually going to ask you to kind of help us understand that better because you've, like you said, you you did the companionship thing and, and now you're realizing what's different with the connection. What are the differences you're noticing? Because I think a lot of us throw those words around, but we don't really sure. know what they mean or how to articulate it. Sure. Yeah. You know, a, a connection-based relationship for me has a, I mean, probably a lot, but let's just say a couple components. One is wanting to honor, discover, and receive who our partner is. And the other would be, uh, it, the component would be us giving who we really are to our partner, us allowing ourselves to be discovered. 
And that would be contrasted with typically the more shallow kind of companion-oriented relationships. Uh, uh, Oftentimes, in my experience, come from a place of saying, okay, dear partner, I'm less interested in receiving who you really are in my life and more interested in making you into who I want you to be. And I'm not so interested in allowing you to discover and connect with who I really am but I'm more interested in trying to be who I think you want me to be in order to get your approval and in order for me to earn your love. So to me, there's so much control involved in those companion-based relationships, but a connection-based relationship for me, it's so much of a uh, place of surrender and deep intimacy where it's all about let's connect to who you really are. Let me shed Uh, the desire to make you into who I want you to be so that I can receive who you really are. Uh, And and those, you know, all might sound like easy to say words, and they are easy to say, but I think it's challenging to embody the idea of receiving deeply the magnificence of who someone else is that's very vulnerable. Uh, A lot of us get, including parts of me, uh, get a, a sense of control by denying what we could otherwise receive. Because, you know, if we receive someone deeply, then they can be taken away, be it through death, choice, uh, or otherwise. So it's very vulnerable and I think very scary. And it takes a lot of courage to receive someone deeply. And then, wow, for us to give ourselves to them and give them the opportunity to receive us deeply. It means we have to uh, encounter the fires that we otherwise avoid, the fires that essentially I think we all have to one degree or another, the fires that say, if you found out who I really am, then you can never love me. And I don't think that's true, but I, uh, you could never love me if you found out who I really am. No, it's like you can only love me if you found out who I really am. If I try to just be who I think you want me to be, then you can never love me because I don't give you me to love. I give you the facade of who I think you want me to be. So, but nonetheless, that's a scary territory, the scary fires that we all have to uh, go into if we're uh, going to be in a connection-based relationship. Yeah, that that was fantastic. Thank you. You, mm, you actually just made me think of something, that last piece you said, because uh, uh, another guest on the show and, and very dear friend of mine, Jeffrey Allen, said this. He, he told me when his, uh, his wife, like when he would get into this big story and kind of like the you can't love the real me, so I'm going to give you this presentation. yeah. He goes, she would just kind of laugh at him. Like, that's nice, but I know that's not you. I'm not interested in the story. And mm. that allowed him to realize it was a story that he was not really being true to himself, right? And he's like, but I always thought that pacified the situation because I wasn't, I was afraid they wouldn't like the real me. Yeah. But she just recognized, I, I know who you are and that's not it. So go ahead, have your little you know, episode. <laughs> and when you're done, I'm interested in whoever comes back, the real you. I think that's amazing. Yeah. And, and it's almost like a cruel joke that uh, <laughs> many of us play on ourselves. 
where our original, maybe our original programming says, you know, you, you can never love me if I'm just me. I have to earn love in some way. And then that gets flipped and we start to realize, wow, you can only love me if I'm the real me. Mm-hmm. You have to find out who I really am in order to love me. And there's no other way to love me. It's just like sort of like a cruel joke. It's like the way we try to earn money is what repels money. The way we try to earn love is what repels love. And we find that out after we've been working hard to earn love for a few decades. It's like, yeah, the very thing you've been doing to try to be lovable is preventing you from being loved. It's like, whoa, wow. Who, who, who do I get angry at for that? <laughs> probably just myself. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's fall. a broad-based question. No, and you're right. It's it's such an interesting. It is kind of this, you know, backward dichotomy, and it it actually reminds me of a little bit of your approach in how you present things. Could you kind of go around as as my friend in North Carolina used to say, you go around your elbow to get to your thumb, mm-hmm. and you take this roundabout way that like kind of gets our guard down and then all of a sudden you hit it and you're like, whoa, oh my gosh, that's me. Or like we were talking about earlier, I'd read your book and go, wait a minute, I'm laughing at this guy. And then I'm realizing I'm the guy. (laughs) I need to pay attention to how I'm presenting myself or how I'm showing up. So such an important piece because I, I think we all recognize that everybody wants to really be deeply loved for who they are. But one, they may not even know who that is because they've been playing this game for so long. Or if they do, we don't trust it's really like viable that somebody's going to love that. And then we get in our own way, like you were talking about. So thank you for sharing that. It's really, really great. Oh, yeah, for sure. So now that you're in this relationship that's based on connection, one of the questions I like to ask my guests is, you know, what would you say is like your best bit of advice as far as relationships or partnerships? So it's coming from a new standpoint. What would you share with our with our listeners? I, uh, you know, I, I would dare say, do what scares you in a relationship. Say the things that scare you that you would otherwise restrict. Maybe take on an avoidance posture of, oh, let me. I'm not going to say this because I want to avoid conflict. And ultimately, what avoiding conflict probably represents is, uh, you know, if they're angry at me, then they can't love me. So I think we have to be willing to risk being authentic. And that it sounds glorious on paper. There are glorious parts to it, but the part that we we may may not see on paper all the time with authenticity is it's very scary. So in a more dramatic way, I would almost say, uh, do the things and say the things that you think will scare your partner away. Now, I'm not talking about being crazy and nuts and uh, psychotic. No, I mean, uh, please don't warp my words into some extreme for the uh, fictitious imagination. Um, But being willing to unapologetically honor ourselves is essential. So scary as well. And, you know, I I think also when, you know, 
if we're especially if we're in a new relationship we'd have to realize like okay every relationship i've been in previously has failed and i know you kind of the old thing like they've all been learning experience yeah they have and they've also failed uh purpose to the failures they've also been failures so the idea of being insane doing the same thing over and over again expecting a different result is something that we oftentimes pull into relationships. Okay, those previous 10 relationships all failed by me, you know, only saying what feels safe. So let me try with this 11th relationship the same thing. It'll probably work out well this time on the 11th try. So no, I, I think we, we have to go against the grain and do what we've never done if we want to experience a depth of relationship that we haven't experienced before. So long ramble made short, be willing to experience discomfort in a relationship, uh, your feelings, your partner's feelings. If you try to avoid either, it means you're disconnecting from yourself and or disconnecting from your partner. And if you're disconnecting from one, you're probably disconnecting from both, in my delusional opinion. Well, I'm going to agree with your delusional opinion um, because I'm delusional. So, <laughs> well, I'm delusional minds, uh, you know, uh, see things very similarly. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Well, here's here's the thing I love about what you just said was it's the honor piece because honoring means not just the good stuff. It's the ugly stuff. It's the nasty stuff. It's the, oh, they're in a crappy mood. Not like, oh, you can't do that. It's going, okay, I get it. You know, how can I support you in this? That's the honor piece that oftentimes we forget about because we like all the rosy stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because the other day I was interviewing a, another guest and they they made a comment about, love and i realized you know love is actually spelled r-i-s-k <laughs> like that because it is like that's what love is it's risking again and again and again and again and again so that you can be honored and you can learn about yourself and learn about your partner and support each other that doesn't happen if we're playing it safe mm. and you know the uh, I dare, like, I, I would dare say almost with that anything, certainly love being one of the yeah. most important anythings, the thing that we do to protect ourselves, to play, uh, we use to play it safe, can become a death trap. It becomes a constriction, just like the caterpillar, you know, it's cocoon created for safety. And if it doesn't break out of the damn thing, the cocoon it created in order to uh, protect itself is what will kill it. The womb that the baby is in that's been great protection and great nourishment for a little while would become the death trap if the baby didn't leave the womb. And man, if you if we could Ken, have you ever been a baby? I I think so. Yeah, I, they told me I have. Yeah, they have I, some pictures. I, yeah. They don't really I, look I like still me, so I question them. I think it's a conspiracy from the Illuminati. <laughs> but anyway, allegedly if we were all babies at one point. If we can just imagine what it's like being a baby, like being born, leaving the womb, even though it's against our will, like how risky does that feel? I would dare say being born into something greater than our zone of protection feels very risky. 
you know, going beyond the, the safe, protective womb of how we have been in relationships feels very risky. And outside looking in, we can see it allows us to be born into a much greater space. But it feels risky. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, JP, we're running out of time here, so we need to let the listeners know how do they contact you and enjoy more of your wisdom. Well, right now I'm sitting in my home office, so you're welcome to come up and tap on my window. Uh, and alternatively, if you don't know where I live, the best way to get in touch with me, social media, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, all the usual suspects, my handle is Awaken with JP for all of those. And uh, my website is awakenwithjp.com. So that's a great place to connect with me. Or if you find me incredibly offensive, that's the best place to avoid me. That's good advice. Good advice. Give them both options. I like that. <laughs> Don't want to entrap anybody. You no, have to no, no. That's, that's awesome. Well, JP, this has been fantastic. Thank you for taking the time to come back on the show. It's so great to have you here. I always love the perspective you bring and the insights and, and how open you are about sharing what's going on in your world right now. So thanks for being here. Oh, you're welcome, Ken. And you are always a delight to talk with. I'm honored you to invite me back on your show. So, so appreciate this, brother. You're very welcome. Be well. Thank you for listening to Speaking of Partnership. Head over to speakingofpartnership.com for links and recaps of every show and so much more. Be sure you catch the bonus stories from our guests on Follow Your Yes Friday. It's easy to do. Just go to your favorite podcast directory, search for Speaking of Partnership, and click subscribe. Like what you hear? Leave us a rating and review on Stitcher or iTunes. The greatest compliment you can give the show is to refer us to someone else either in person or on the web. Have a great day. And remember, even when you stumble, you're still moving forward. Peace.